Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Well, would you turn with me tonight? It's sort of sad. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. I want you to write this day down, June the 24th, 2006. And just put underneath it, Wayne finally finished 2 Corinthians. <laughs> you know, Daniel has 12 chapters. We may be there for another 10 years. Who knows? <laughs> No, hey, wouldn't it be awesome to be teaching the book of Daniel and the Lord come for his church? Would that not be fun? Right in the middle of it. It's just, and, and you know, the, the most common word in heaven is going to be, oh. <laughs> Chapter 13, <laughs> verse 11 through 14. We're going to talk tonight about evidences of rejoicing. In these final words of the Apostle Paul, he's got some tremendous things to say to us tonight. He says in verse 11, finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now we know in verse 1 of chapter 13, the Apostle Paul has already said, I'm coming back to Corinth for my third visit. He writes them so to tell them basically to be ready for his return. But there's something we've got to see here. His heart is not that they do what is right since he's coming back and they're scared to death of him. That's not what his heart is. Obedience in the believer's life is never for the sake of man. Obedience in the believer's life is for the sake of the lordship of Christ living in us. It's the loving response to who he is in our lives. Paul has said in verse 7, he said, you ought to be obedient no matter what anybody else does. He talked about himself. He says, you know, they're showing us as if we're unapproved. That shouldn't bother you. You should be obedient simply for the sake of Christ, what he's doing in your life. You see, obedience is not like the mechanical obedience of the religious. It's, it's the simple reflex of faith working in the believer who loves the Lord. It's the instant willingness to do whatever the Lord says, no matter what it costs. One of the reasons I love to do these youth camps that I've been doing for years is because I love to watch God work in the youth because they haven't lived so long they question God anymore. They hear Him and they respond. And that's what obedience is supposed to be in our hearts and our lives. This yielded attitude that we have to His Lordship is the key, now listen carefully, to our experiencing the fullness of what is offered us 
in Christ Jesus. Without this yielded obedience to Christ, there is no rejoicing in the believer's life. So we must take this in mind. You see, to rejoice for a believer is to be so in tune with God in His Word that you're living in the fullness of what He offers and His life is being lived through your life. And that's what brings about the rejoicing. It has nothing to do with circumstances. It has everything to do with the quality of the heart that God is cultivating. Now you have to take that in mind because in verse 11, Paul says, Finally, brethren, rejoice. Now, the word brethren is a very affectionate word, and you can really see how God is working in Paul to, to reach out to these people that have hurt him so desperately. He calls them brethren. That's, that's a tender, affectionate word, and it sets the tone for the last few verses of this epistle. The word rejoice, yes, it was a common word that was used in their days to close out a letter, but oh, don't miss this. The meaning of the word rejoice should not be lessened in any, any way simply because many used it as a closing of a letter. Uh, it should never. Listen, we have to remember that all Scripture is by inspiration of God. Some of the most profound messages in Scripture are in the last few verses of a, of a letter that people just tend to walk on by as if it was some kind of, of rote saying on someone's part. That word rejoice comes from the word that means to skip around. It's, a, it's an inner joy that, has, it, that is expressed outwardly. And, and it's in the present tense, which means keep on rejoicing. Yes, rejoice, but keep on rejoicing. This is the way I want you to live. Imperative mood, which means it's not a suggestion, it's a command. And it's in the active voice. You make this choice in your life. Every day that you wake up in the morning, God, I want to rejoice in you today. And I understand what that means, that I yield to the fullness of your spirit. I yield to your word and I yield to your will. I'm willing to do whatever you tell me, whenever you tell me. Paul puts it into command form for, I believe, it doesn't tell us why, except that the spirit led him to do that, but I think it's to press the point home, to keep on rejoicing. Don't take this lightly. Don't let this be something flippant in your life. Choose to rejoice in him day by day. And once again, rejoicing is the fruit of walking in a yielded obedience to the Lordship of Christ. Paul wants them to experience the rejoicing in what they have already in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to look. Everything he says from that point on could easily be the result of rejoicing in the Lord. Once you begin to rejoice in Him, means you're walking with Him. You're, you're, you're living by faith. You're letting His Word renew your mind and the Spirit transform your life. And there's such a joy that flows out of that. It's something you can't give to anybody. It's something you can't fake. It, it's, it's, it's literally possible for every one of us in here that are believers to live this way if we, if we determine that we're going to choose to do what he tells us to do. And, and remember, the Corinthians could have been living that way, but they had chosen not to because of sin that was in their life, and now he's got their attention. So once a person begins to rejoice in the Lord, first of all, they will see what is out of order around them. That's the first thing that you'll notice. They will see what is out of order around them. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete. Now, those words, be made complete, is, it, that's all one word in the Greek, which is the word katartizo. It literally means to put a thing in its appropriate position, to set things in order. 
I know every time that Diana goes out of town, <laughs> things tend to get in, out of order around my house. And when I know she's coming, I have a tendency to really stay up late to set things back into order. It has that idea, put it where it needs to be. It's in the present imperative, and it means setting things in order. Now, from our study, it means to be continuing to set things in order. From our study, Paul has tried to point out to the Corinthian church what was out of order. But you have to understand that disobedient believers can't see what's out of order. They have no idea what's out of order. They're blind to it. So these things can easily be seen when one is living under the Lordship of Christ. They just, boom, there they are. But when you're not living yielded to Him, you can't even recognize what isn't and what is. There, were the, there was the issue of church discipline for those who were unwilling to repent of sin in their lives. That was, a, that was an obvious thing that was out of order. There's nobody disciplining them. And he says in chapter 13, verse 2, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it when I come. He says, I have previously said when present the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I'm not going to spare anybody. So you know that that was out of order. It's amazing to me how many churches across America don't even have any type of, uh, of church discipline set up at all. Now, by the way, you never know if it's going on until it hits the church itself. A lot of times, and most of the time, it's solved in step one and two, but, but there's a process of church discipline. And we know that was out of order. So set these things back in order. Well, also, there was certainly the issue of identifying and silencing the false teachers that were there. He says in chapter 11, verse 13, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And you see, a person that doesn't walk with God doesn't live in his word they don't know false doctrine when they see it they can't see it there was also have been the issue of restoring those who have had repented back into fellowship don't just let them repent bring them in encourage them grow see them grow in chapter 2 verse 7 he says so that on the contrary you should rather forgive and comfort him otherwise such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow when believers choose to allow sin to indwell their life and to, and to take over their life then, and, and not to live in obedience to Christ, what happens is they can't see the forest for the trees. Uh, this doctrinal deception, unconfessed sin, wounded, hurting brothers around them, uh, can all, can, they can be everywhere, but the believer who is not walking in, this, in the fullness of what God offers to him is not filled with the Spirit of God underneath its, his control they can't see this. They can't see no further than themselves. As a result, things are out of order. And as a result, the witness of the church falls apart and nobody even recognizes what's going on. But when one is rejoicing, that can only come from walking the way he ought to walk. When one's rejoicing in his walk with Christ, his eyes are open to what needs to be put back into order. This is true of an individual's life. Once you begin to, to say yes to Christ, once you begin to let the Holy Spirit of God empower your life, you begin to see things in your individual life that you couldn't have seen before. This is what happens in a family. When a family has revival and, and repentance in their hearts and awakening to what the Lordship of Christ really is, they begin to see things that have been way out of order there. This is true also in the church. So in this first thing then, we, we, he wants them to rejoice and keep on rejoicing because it's in the, in the walk that they have with God which brings about this rejoicing that they can see what needs to be dealt with around them. 
Let me ask you a question. Let's just bring it down to where we are. We're closing out here. Are you walking in the fullness of the Spirit of Christ today? Are you walking in the fullness of the Spirit of Christ today? And as a result, do you recognize the things in your own life that need to be set into order? Things that need to be changed, things that need to be put in order. Are you part of the solution then or part of the problem? That's what Paul's dealing with there at the church of Corinth. And only those who are rejoicing in the Lord and continuing to rejoice can even understand what he's talking about. Secondly, when one is rejoicing in Christ, their attitude towards correction changes. Isn't it interesting that when you're not living in obedience to Christ and to his word, the worst thing in the world can happen when somebody reminds you of truth and tries to correct your life. I remember one night we were trying to move my wife's younger sister. I don't like to move myself, but particularly others and particularly family. And it was hot. It was in August. And I love Mary, but I hate to move anybody. And it was upstairs. We had to go down up and down the steps, carry couches and stuff. And I remember it got to be about 12 o'clock. Diana and her sisters, bless her heart, thought they were turning the air on and turned the heat on. It's 180 degrees inside this apartment. We're sweating. I'm about to die. Midnight finally comes, and I'm thinking, we can go home. And little Mary, <laughs> she looked at me, and she said, oh, I've forgotten. There's a couch and a chair that people said we could have, but we've got to come tonight because they're there themselves moving in the morning, and, and they won't be able to give it to us. And I, don't, I, don't, I'm a, I didn't say anything, but I must have said a whole lot by my looks. And my daughter, Stephanie, oh, you would love Stephanie. And she just, <laughs> she came up and put her arm around me, and she said, now, Daddy, Remember who lives in you. <laughs> shut up. Shut up. When you're not obedient, you don't want to have somebody come and tell you how you're supposed to walk. But isn't it interesting? When you're trusting God, rejoicing in Him, you're not going to reach perfection. There's no arrival. It's a pursuit. But as you're walking along and you're yielded to Him and you, you begin to seek correction from a brother, from the Word of God, as an act of, of love and encouragement. You don't look down on it like you used to. You actually welcome it. That's what God does in the heart of a believer who lives rejoicing in the Lord. We're actually comforted by it. Paul says in verse 11, Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted. Now, this is the most interesting translation here. He puts it in a passive sense. But I believe what he's saying is choose to be encouraged by what I'm telling you to do. Now, the translations really confuse us here. I looked at about 15 different translations. Some translate it in the middle voice. Some translate it in the passive voice. It's incredible. But let's just look at the word. The word comforted is the word paracoline. It means to comfort or to encourage, like, like it's translated. And it is in the present, now listen to me, be continually, imperative, active, which means you make a choice about something. It's not something that happens to you. It's something you choose. And so we have to choose, I believe, a different translation. This is the only time that Paul puts that particular word in 2 Corinthians into the imperative, which is the command form. He uses it 17 different times, but he only puts it in the command form one time. But if you look at his other epistles, when Paul used that same expression in a command form, it always carried the idea of encouragement, be encouraged. In 1 Thessalonians 4.18, he uses it. Therefore, comfort or encourage one another with these words. It's used in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. It's used in Titus 2.6 and Titus 2.15, the same way. So, 
Paul, to me, wants them to accept his commands of what to do to make, it, make ready for his coming as being a means of encouragement and don't look at it as being a burden. And, and, and the thought rang in my mind as I was putting this together. I thought about Jesus when he said, my commandments are not burdensome. You see, when you're walking with the Lord, the commands, whether they come from the Word, whether they come from a brother, whatever, as they're working in your life, they're not burdensome. What God tells us to do, they're not burdensome. A believer walking in the fullness of Christ, rejoicing in Him, sees everything through different eyes. Everything. Even when He's being corrected, He sees it through different eyes. Let me ask you a question tonight. Just be thinking about these things. How do you view someone who seeks to correct you through the Word of God? How do you view that person? Is that something your spirit welcomes, or is that something you reject because there's something that you have in your life that you don't want to deal with? Thirdly, there will be an appreciation of the purity of God's Word. You'll find those who rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ protecting the Word of God. Uh, how do you know someone loves and appreciates the Word of God? The best way to know is by the fact that they are willing to obey it. They're willing to live it out in their life. He says in verse 11, Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded. Now that little word for like-minded is the word phroneo, which refers to a mindset that towards something, uh, to think the same thing towards something. Well, and if you look at the context, to me, what he's talking about is it's not uniformity, but it's having the same attitude towards something that's significant to the church of Corinth with the assault of all the false teachers and the bombarding the church with their false doctrine. I believe what Paul is pointing to, be like-minded in what you think of God's Word. Be like-minded. That doesn't mean you agree on every single scripture, but it means be like-minded that you, that you, what you think about the Word of God. It could be argued, some people would say, that, that they could be like-minded towards Paul at, to make sure he was an apostle sent from God. He was who he says he was. And I have no argument with that. But to me, the, the feel of this, he's closing the letter for four chapters. That's all he's dealt with are the false teachers there in Corinth. I believe what he's saying is set things in order. Deal with the things you know to deal with. And, and then not only that, accept what I'm telling you and the correction that comes to you. Accept it as an encouragement. But be like-minded. Love the Word of God. Be the like-minded about it. Well, what was really sad was that these false teachers had perverted a lot of things, but one thing they had really attacked and torn down was the message of grace. And this is the thing that was the heart of Paul. See, Paul had come out of a religious background, and he was now up under grace. And these men, these people had come in, these false teachers, and we know who they were. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty two says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. These were people that were steeped in the law. And the Corinthians, who had been set free by the message of grace, were now being deceived back into the bondage under law. So when I, I believe when he's saying like-minded here, it probably involves a lot of things, but one thing it certainly involves is be like-minded toward the Word of God. A person who lives the Word of God will be a person who will stand up and protect the Word of God. And I've said this over and over again. Doctrine is only important to those who are living it out in their life. And doctrine is very, very important. Well, a believer rejoicing in Christ will set things in order because for the first time he's able to see what's out of order. 
He'll accept correction as encouragement, not as some burdensome command. And he'll be like-minded about God's message of his word. Fourthly, they will desire to live in peace with one another. Uh, in verse 11, finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. You see, dissension had abounded in the church of Corinth as we've studied. And how fitting it is that Paul says, live in peace. But the only way that a person can live in peace is if Christ and his, his love is manifested in their hearts. Peace always comes after grace. It always comes after love. It's God's love that produces this in his life. And he goes on and says, and the God of love and peace will be with you. The love of Christ is the fruit of God's Spirit. And like I said, it always precedes peace. Galatians 5.22. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then it qualifies that love. The next thing it says is joy. There's a rejoicing. And then it says peace. That's something God has to produce. It's not only something you can live in, it's something you desire to live in. When God's people are walking with Him and obeying His Word, loving each other, and living at peace with each other, it's obvious to everyone. And the Apostle Paul continues in verse 12. And I, I just had to get a kick out of this one. Greet one another with a holy kiss. You know, I've got a lot of friends that just look at that and say, hot dog, I've been looking for that verse. No, 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 it's not what you think it is. This was a way of greeting, particularly in the Jewish culture, which continues today in not just their culture, but in many cultures around the world, of, of greeting one another. The key word is the word holy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's something that's not erotic. It's something that's not sensual or anything like that. It's something that expresses a deep God-given affection for the other individual. A kiss. There's a kiss, and then there's a kiss. But he's talking about a holy kiss in the Lord. Paul uses this in Romans 16, 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 20, 1 Thessalonians 5, 26. Peter uses it in 1 Peter 5, 14. And what they would do, they would come up and just a light touch of the lips on one side of the cheek and then and touch and kiss them on the other side of the cheek. And it was a standard practice in the early church. But here's what it was. It flows right out of what he just said. It was when people are at peace with one another, they accept one another, they love one another. This was a way of expressing it when they would meet one another. I remember the first time I went to Romania, I hadn't been around that ever in my whole entire life. And when they saw me, they put their arms around me and kissed me on both cheeks. And <laughs> but I sensed the spirit of why they did that. Isn't it interesting that some people won't even sit on the same row with one another? Now, I know it's not here, certainly not. But in churches across our country, it is. I mean, there used to be people in our church at Willing Park that wouldn't even sit beside each other. They'd walk inside the church and go the other direction if somebody would walk in on the other side. And it's incredible how when you go to one another and you greet one another that way, that's a sign of living at peace with that individual. You've buried the hammer. The church of Jesus Christ is one in the Lord Jesus, and we're to live in His peace, at peace with Him and at peace with one another. It simply meant that you accepted all the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. It didn't matter where you were. You could be in Corinth. You could be in Ephesus. You could be in Philippi. You could be wherever you are. And if they didn't even know you, they would greet you as a sign of saying, we are living in peace with God and we want to live at peace with you. Beautiful expression of Christians loving each other. Well, 
Paul goes on to say in verse 13, all the saints greet you, all of them. And it's another picture here, probably the saints of Macedonia and how many churches were in Macedonia, and he's just including them all. They greet you. Well, they don't even know me. I know, but they do know you because they know the Lord that lives in you, and they want to live at peace with you. That's what the church is supposed to be. Sometimes it's not, is it? Then Paul concludes with his blessing for all of God's people in verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I don't know how many times I've had in conferences I've been doing or young people's camps or whatever, somebody walk up and say, I can't find the word Trinity anywhere in Scripture. Well, (laughs) so? But verses like this, countless numbers of them, talk about the Trinity, the three in one. Here's the Lord Jesus, who it says the grace of the Lord Jesus. Here's God the Father. And by the way, anytime you have Jesus and the Spirit and God in the same verse, it's God the Father, the God the Father. So it's Jesus, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. That is the Trinity. And it says, may they be with you all. Rejoice and keep on rejoicing. If you do then, you will set things in order. If you do, you will choose to be encouraged by correction. If you do, you'll be like-minded with others in the body of Christ, up toward particularly the Word of God. And if you do, you will live in peace with one another. Paul says, I'm coming soon. Are you ready? For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 